from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It is Wednesday, January 31st. Tomorrow's February. Can you believe it? Time flies. We got a great show today. First up, Vince Chan is with us. Very impressive woman talking about a lot of different things. We have a very wide ranging conversation. We talk about raising money as a woman and how to bounce back and be resilient and how to disrupt your own personal habits and how to change. And we talk about love and logic and all sorts of stuff. It's a fantastic wide ranging conversation. You will be very impressed. She is, we're talking about the future of work and we've got a lot of things going on in the conversation. So it's a great one. After that, Matthew Weiss will be with us. He is, I should say second Lieutenant Matthew Weiss. We are going to talk about military recruiting and the crisis that the armed forces are facing with uh, maintaining their numbers right now. The HR issue that the entire world is having. We'll talk about the military's take on that with Matthew. So very excited. Great show and appreciate as always you being with us before that, though, I want to go on a little bit of a rant. If you will indulge me for just a second, all I want as an entrepreneur is, well, a couple things. I want a fair playing field. I want to know what the rules are. That's it. Those are my two things. I want the rules to be known, announced, playable, fair for everybody so that you and I can compete with the big guys. You and I could compete against each other. We know what we're going to be doing. We know what the rules are. We know what the penalty kicks look like. All of that. We need to know this. It's not fair if we don't know. And it's not fair if they change the rules halfway through. And I want to say one thing before I go on and continue anymore. I want you to understand this is not a political comment. This is not about one party or the other. This is about the system, right? Of which both parties are 100% responsible. So there are these things called conservation easements, and I don't understand it 100%. That's why I never invested in them. But here is my basic understanding that you can go, could go, and buy a $100,000 piece of property. You then make plans for how you're going to develop it and turn it into a million-dollar piece of property. You then raise money on that and you know, whatever, however you want to finance it. It doesn't really matter. People have done a lot of different things and that's important later in the story, but then you decide not to do it. And instead of building the beautiful development for which you have already got architectural drawings and beautiful pictures, you decide because you're a great person that cares about the environment to take that property and give it to a conservation trust, some sort of protection for the property so that it's not going to be developed and instead it will be protected as raw green space. Great for the environment. Okay, for 25 years, the IRS has been letting people do this. All over the country, people have done it. There was a man here in Atlanta who was big time in this for the last 25 years. They've been audited and blessed. They got through IRS situations. The IRS was not saying anything was illegal about this. It was being allowed to happen for 25 years. They changed their mind, came out and said, now those are, we're going to prosecute those. And so the man who I told you had been selling them for 25 years, uh, got sentenced to 25 years in jail. Coincidentally last week. And one of my good friends, a CPA 
sold some of those or not even sold them, but just did the taxes for people who did them. And he has been indicted on many, many, many charges. And I will just say this. He is the most honest man I know. I've known him for 27 years, used to work with him on a daily basis in the same office. The most honest man I know is facing multiple, multiple, multiple life-destroying charges because they've changed the rules 25 years in. I just don't think that's right. Anyway, very excited for a great conversation with Vince Chan. We will be right back. Startups Radio hopes you will reach out to us if you have any questions or comments, or if you need help with your business at any stage, from concepts to exit. Jim accepts all connections on LinkedIn. He tweets from at Entrepreneur Jim, and he responds to emails at james.beach at att.net. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. We are back in again. Thank you so very much for being with us. I'm very excited to introduce my first guest today. This is going to be a fascinating conversation from Hong Kong. Please welcome Vince Chan. She has her MBA from Yale, had a very successful career in American corporate world, working for some great companies like Deloitte and PricewaterhouseCoopers, TCW Asset Management. She gave all of that up, though, and left to become an entrepreneur and to follow her passion. She is now working on... The Future of Work. She has a new book coming out soon called Safe Space, How to Bounce Back Better and Be More Resilient. Vince, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jim. It is our pleasure. Why did you leave corporate world and go out on your own, especially for a Chinese that is unusual and especially for a woman? Uh I'm so glad you did, but but why? Well, over time, in fact, when I look back at my career change, so far I've experienced 18 of them. The one you brought up, in fact, is one of the 18th. There's a common theme in my career which I call self-disruption. Over time, I always have this drive, this craze to do more. Do more than what is given, what is provided to me. Yes, from a corporate to entrepreneurship, that's quite a big live of faith. But even... When I was in corporate back then, in fact, in particular at TCW as a management in LA, I was in a entrepreneurial role. I was building their new business line in Asian market. And that was entrepreneurial enough for me to find out more about myself, about like me, Vince. I not just a conventional corporate animal. In fact, deep in my DNA, I have this building from scratch, building not just from zero. In fact, before you even build anything from zero to one, you need to go down first to negative and then bounce back from that negative territory into the positive territory. And like I said, before then, before that change, I've experienced a lot of those transformations, myself moving, making moves cross-border, cross-cultural. So that's why for me, change or embracing and practicing change is part of my life motivation of disrupting myself to do more, to achieve more. 
I love it. I love that attitude. 18 changes. My goodness. I thought I had a lot until I heard that. That's <laughs> unbelievable uh, amount of career uh, flexibility. And then now, why did you decide to go into the future of work and your HR studies, your new business devoted to that? Um, actually, when I moved from corporate, that was around, in fact, more than 10 years ago, I stayed in finance afterwards in a different firm. That was a venture by itself, but I did not found it. It was founded by uh, actually a banker. But then after that, that uh, experience, I got into um, the future of skills. Now, 10 years ago, if you recall, uh, when we talk about future skills, we talk about coding, we talk about, oh, you know, digitalization, we talk about, you know, learning new things. It's always the theme and talk about uh, education, technology, and I, I, I am actually one of the active speakers in a lot of those education technology conferences. And usually at those, at those conferences, the major focus was on um, empowering children's education, which is important, of course. But at, even at that point, before we had the COVID, we have the AI, we have the, the hybrid uh, work model. I. In a lot of conferences, I, I share with a lot of um, speakers, guests, entrepreneurs, investors. I said, well, the biggest challenge, in fact, I think is not the children part. They do have time. They still have time to, to learn. The system takes time to change. But it's the adults, the workers, the professionals. Because if that's any, any big change, you know, at that point, we already have AI. So AI is not new. Any other big change in the workplace, there's no time for them to adjust. It, everything will happen very, very quickly. So even at that point, I got very much into the future of skills, in particular in workplace. At that point, I was in a more, I would say, in the more investor role, trying to build a fund to invest in those new ventures. But now I'm in a different role in which I am trying to build solutions that help people to navigate better, stronger in the future of work to not just develop their career, but to own their career future. Okay, very interesting. And when we talk about the new role, why did you choose in particular to write a book on safe space? Yes. That's safe a very space. American idea, you know, by the way. Are you is it the same level of importance in Asia that it is here in the United States? No, no. Um this book is in English. It will be in English. In fact, that is that will be my first book in English. I've written, I've published two books before, 10 years ago, actually. Uh, those two books are in Chinese language. I'm bilingual. Those uh, were published in China. Uh, one of them actually is called a bestseller. They were at that point targeted at the younger, um, younger professionals looking to study overseas. So it's career related, but more about uh, uh, high education. And now, as I told you, I myself, over time, starting from age 15, in fact, experienced 18 times of transitions, transformations. Some of those are voluntary. Some of those are involuntary. I have my own share of pains and gains. I have my own share of ups and downs, high and lows. And during the COVID period, I, when I was like everybody, I was stuck at home. I was like looking at news from all around where I was like, I, I, I can feel that a lot of people, they've been, they, maybe to them, this is more of the first time that they, they experienced such a drastic change in like once in a lifetime. And I, I, I was thinking to myself, I was talking to myself, well, 
I experienced a lot of those. I suffer along the way. I learned lessons. I rebounded. My, not only my ability to, to lead change, but my ability to control that process, to match that process. I believe that would be of great value to a lot of people. And then after COVID, when I keep researching on this topic, I found that a lot of those, a lot of those voices coming from US, from UK, from Europe, from the, the Western world. I was like, okay, this is it. This is a time that I really want to make the best use of my experiences to the bigger, to the, to the bigger group of people. That's the reason why I, I choose to do it in English. I choose, I choose to do it in, 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 a, in a market, in a language that would be, that maximize the impact that I want to create. Right. Okay, well, let's dive into the book and tell us a little about it. How do we bounce back and be resilient? That's getting harder and harder. And we see articles all the time in America about people not bouncing back. How do we do it? Yes, um, I come up with eight rules. Um, but I, you know, and I, I, I uh, definitely can, can go through uh, each one of them at a greater length. But at the same time, I like to also give you guys a, I would say a, um, a, a overview using two words. These okay. two words are love and logic. I, I love and logic. Those have nothing to do with well, each other, Vince. Those are opposites. Exactly, exactly. But over time, I found that in when it comes to career, when it comes to life, when we are facing change, we are torn, we are stuck. And at the end of the day, is a balance of these two forces, love and logic. I, I like to, I like to give you an example. I like to, I guess, explain this concept, maybe using a, uh, while we're on this podcast, but imagine you are drawing a big rectangle. But I ask you, well, break this rectangle into four smaller rectangles. How do you do it? Very simple. You draw a line. Now, and these four rectangles, they represent four, four situations of the conflict between love and logic. The lower left-hand corner is when, in fact, you don't, you don't have much love and logic for your job. Meaning, I call them, they are hurt. They are actually hurt mentalists. You know, the term hurt mentality. Hurt mentalist is, you know, you, you do a job because, you know, your MBA from uh, whatever school, Brennan school, you are supposed to get into investment banking. You are supposed to do it. You are supposed to reach a certain level at some point. Everything is you should, and you, you don't even care about what you, what you enjoy. You don't, the love factor is not there about your self-love. The logic factor is not there. Why not? Because you, 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 you just follow what societies tell you to do. That's why I said love and logic, in fact, at that, in that stage, you're just one of the hurt mentalists. And the other, the other triangle would be you have so much logic. You're very calculating about how much money you make, about like all the analysis. Oh, I'm not sure if I should make the move. Uh, you know, I have, I have to consider this and that factor. You overanalyze, but you still don't have much love about how you feel about your situation. So that's the lower right-hand corner. Not much love, but a lot of logic. Then you have another corner, which is the upper left-hand corner. You have so much love, but less logic. Who are they? These people, I call them sentimentalists. They like, oh, I, I, love, I love to do this so much. You have so much emotion. You feel so much about the world. But is it, is it a, um, a, 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 a sustainable business opportunity? If you want to get into entrepreneurship, do you have, you know, do you have the, the right skill? Maybe you want to take some time to learn new skills before you quit your job and go for uh, entrepreneurship. 
but you have so much love, you, you care so much about the, the, what, what you like, you miscalculate. So that's the upper right-hand corner. Uh, left-hand corner, sorry. The upper right-hand corner, that's the ideal stage. When I say ideal, I don't mean perfect. It's the, the stage where you're more progressive. You have love, you have logic. You figure out what you actually enjoy doing, or you're really good at doing. You figure out your logic because you figure out your finances, you figure out maybe how you, you know, maybe you need to move to a new place from A to B, uh, maybe not now, maybe you, you'll become smarter about how to figure out timing. So you balance the love and logic. That's the stage where you really want to make progress. You really want to make progress about your life, about your career. You find a overlapping area between what you love and what you can do for, for a living. And it's not just for a living. You know, you want, to, you want to find a purpose. You want to achieve a purpose. You want to leave some kind of legacy to the world, to the next, next generation. That's the progressive stage. That would be, the, the, I would say, the, the balance for your life and career. So back to your original question. We bounce back better with resilience is when you are stuck is usually the, the, the conflict between the love and logic. And then you need to figure out, you need to figure out the love and logic side, which force is now, is now so-called stronger, which force is weaker, and how you could get into a more balanced stage. That would make you to, to bounce back faster, but more in a more sustainable manner. Okay, that makes sense. I like that. And I love the contrast of the love and the logic. That's, that's great. So can you give us some of the actual tips now? Sure. That's one, one example is, um, you know, when I, when I was, um, when I was preparing for, 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 for this book, I, 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 I'm doing some research online and I found that a lot of, that's one, well, a couple of topics that uh, always come up on Google is about failure, about failure at, uh, even with specific age, specific, uh, a failure at 30, failure at 40, failure at 50. I myself this year, actually age 50, turning 51, very soon. And what I found is when we are in a, in a situation that we're stuck and we have a lot of thoughts, a lot of, in fact, sometimes depressing thoughts about, oh, I'm a failure. I'm 30. My friends are this and that. I'm 40. My classmate are that and that, and then 50, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we, are, we are subject ourselves to a lot of those social expectations, stereotypes. And if I were one of those, I would call myself a failure too. Because a lot of my classmates, they are now billionaires. They're like famous people in their own space. I'm still building a new business on my own, writing a book and so on and so forth. But of course, I don't see myself that way. And how, how can I help myself to get out of that, that, that thinking process, so-called the failure and all that? First of all, most importantly, that more sustainable solution is design your own, I call it design your own operate, operating system. I use the word operating system I don't, it's nothing to do with technology, by the way. It's not like the operating system on your iPhone or on, on your, you know, Microsoft, all of those things, all of those things. But I like to use this concept because the operating system you want to design is, is not just a career blueprint per se, but like how you, what, how you define success, how you define setback, how you even measure and monitor your success in setback. Without that kind of your own definition, your own criteria, a lot of times, especially in this kind of world where change is the only constant, it's very easy for us to fall into this trap of comparison, social comparison. Oh, I'm not doing enough, I'm not that. And that becomes a drag 
on your bouncing back process. So define not just success, but define what is actually so-called failing. I would say setback. This is an operating system, meaning there's a version 1.0, version 2.0, version 3.0. It has to be updated. You need to monitor your journey. And I would suggest that this journalize, this, this journey that you want to journal, you do it with a notebook. Not with your phone, not with any computer device, with a notebook using a pen. You write it. You write it because writing, unlike typing, writing is an analytical process. When you observe your own performance, your own progress that you make along the way, you actually reflect, analyze, and communicate your feelings, your thoughts, your love, and the logic, and then express it through the action of your writing. Write out, and then through this process, you'll be able to figure yourself out. This is part of the neuroscience process. So design your own operating system, define your success, your criteria, but also at the same time, monitor it be your own observer and using your human skills, writing, not typing, but writing a notebook so that you have the record. You can always look back. You can always reflect. You can always flip the pages to see how you go. You'll be more assured about the progress you make. You won't, you won't, you won't see yourself as, as a failure. You will see yourself as an animal who's making active progress along the way. That would make you bounce back, not just faster, but stronger, more resilient. I love it. And I totally agree about using paper. There's something extra about writing. And I don't know if, you know, I'm a little bit older, three or four years older than you are, Vince, and happy birthday soon. But I, I, I really wonder if my children will also have that same sensation. I remember better when I write it, and I don't remember better when I type it. There's something different. Uh, it's a different part of the brain or something. I don't know. but. Uh, it, it is it's explained by science because when you write, you actually already have the analyzing process in your brain working. And then through this process, and then you write it out, you already process it, and then you write it out. The finger, the touch, the feel of it is part of your, the, the, the physical science, but also part of your psychology. So I would definitely ask anyone on this podcast, no matter how old you are, or how young you are, whatever, use pen and notebook, paper, sometimes you lose the paper, pen and notebooks to be more human, to, to stay human in the, as I said, in this era when change is the own constant and we know that AI is going to be more and more popular in our lives. One of the, not just survival skills for any workers, but thriving skills, I would argue, is to be more human. And writing, analyzing, speaking, listening, all of those, all of those skills that are supposed to be part of humanity. This is what we all need to embrace and practice. This is how we can stay ahead of the game and be an active worker in the AI world. Vince, let's change topics. We only have a minute or so left. Are you worried about the uh, any possible conflict with China and Taiwan or the next year or two, uh, any sort of political conflict? Uh, are you are you scared about Taiwan and the situation with all of the the threats? that uh, we hear here in America? I, first of all, I must admit that I haven't followed like, like all the news so closely. So I, there's certain things that I may not know enough. That's the disclaimer. I, I must bring it up to you. Um, but to your question, I'm not scared of any of those, whether it's Taiwan, US, China, or Europe. 
uh, although I must say, yes, we are not in the we're not in a safe place. <laughs> we're not we're not in a so called safe world psychologically, geopolitically, uh, in a lot a lot of those arenas. But like I said, um, I, I I last point I like to make is I'm I'm um, other than you know I study finance or I study psychology I study a lot of those. I'm also a big fan in history. In fact, history in like Europe, uh, China, and all those. I I'm not scared. I guess I always look back at what history teaches us. A lot of human situations have already been explained somehow, some some time ago in uh, in history. So just part of the human process. So that's why I'm less, I'm, 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 I'm more, I guess I'm more, uh, uh, I, I look into the past to help me uh, stay, I guess, um, rational about the future. And last point is so-called the resilience, uh, not just a mindset, but also a skill set, meaning uh, not to be, not to, uh, to, to again, to balance the noise, balance the news, balance our uh, sanity, or uh, on all fronts. So that's that's how I deal with the, I guess the, uh, the 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 situation, I guess around the world, where where I am in Hong Kong, in a you know in in my career life, in my personal life. Uh, that's that's how I. I, um, I see things. Very well said. How do we find out more? Follow you online? All of that, please. Yep. On LinkedIn, the Vincent, uh, that's my, uh, LinkedIn handle, the Vincent, uh, very soon I'll have my own website. I'll share more. In fact, last point is that I'm going to launch my own podcast. Oh, uh, the podcast name is called chief. Chief Change Officer, Chief Change Officer. Uh, this is about again how to embrace the change we are we are witnessing, we're experiencing in our career. I uh, it will be launched very soon, in fact. So, Chief Change Officer. Uh, so, everybody interested could uh, yeah get in touch with me about that. Well, we will add the link to the show notes uh, when it becomes available. Vince, thank you so much for being with yes. us and congratulations on the book. And, uh, I haven't mentioned this. Yes. Hong Kong is my favorite city in the world. There is nothing more romantic than taking the star ferry, uh, from one side oh. to the other. I, I had oh. some of the best nights of my life were uh, just riding the ferry uh, with a pretty girl. And so I, I just love Hong oh, Kong. And I, I'll see you there soon. I hope. Well, yes, I want to you about this very ride. One of the best times everybody likes it. I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, romantic and again, relaxing. Uh, so I look forward to seeing you here in person, but thank you again so much for your time, for your interest, your question, of course, let me know when you're ready to release it, but I would, I would love to come back next time to talk more about resilience, about the book, about embracing change in a way that makes sense for us. We will do that. We will be back in just a second to talk about military recruiting. The numbers are down and we will talk about how to fix it. We'll be right back. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful question, actually, Jim. Oh, my gosh. I love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a great one. You know, that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question, and, and I don't have a great answer. It, that's a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded question. And that's actually a really good question. School for Startups Radio. 
We are back in again. Thank you so much for being with us. All right. Sort of going to go off topic a little bit now, but you know, we have the right to do that. And it is a problem America is facing and wherever there is a problem, there's got to be some way for us to make money. I have no idea what it is, but let's learn the problem first. Please welcome Matthew Weiss to the show. He is a second lieutenant in the United States Army. He was just explaining that he's one step away from five stars. Uh, major general or uh, I'm teasing. He was explaining how the rankings go. And I'm so uneducated about that. Very interestingly, he went off and got his MBA at Wharton first. You don't get any more prestigious than that. He could have gotten any job in the world, uh, with a Wharton MBA. And instead he is serving our country, which I think is so cool. He sees a huge problem and has written a book about it. That is, I think, going to raise some interesting issues. The book is called We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, Examining the Military Recruiting Crisis with Generation Z. Wow, there's a lot to unpack in that title. Matthew Weiss, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate the introduction. I am a Marine, uh, oh, not, sorry, not the not Army, the so Army. Pr- sorry, proud about that. that. You know, Marines and Army have a good uh, good little uh, rivalry, but no. Uh, Thank you so much for the introduction. Yeah, there's nothing worse than calling, putting you in the wrong service. At least I didn't say you were in the Navy, though, you know, right? <laughs> or the Coast fair, Guard or something like that. <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right. So why didn't you go get the $500,000 a year on Wall Street and join the services? i amazed that that's so cool. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and the actual joke is I did. So right after my MBA, I, I did work in a very lucrative, very amazing company. It was a defense technology company. It's sort of a soaring startup that's now a multi-billion dollar company um, and had an amazing experience there, but still felt the desire that I had to put on a uniform one day, that I had to go and serve. And the time gap to, to actually doing so is, is short, right? You eventually get too old, you, you can't join. So I, I decided that I would leave that as painful as that was and, uh, go and end up in boot camp. All right. And how was that? Uh, was it a good experience? Bad experience? Did you enjoy it? It was the greatest learning experience uh, I've ever had in my life. I, I changed and grew as a person, but you could imagine here I was doing hundred million dollar M and a deals. And then a couple of days later, quite literally getting yelled at for not being able to tie my shoes, uh, in a fast enough manner. But, you were going for ROT, like uh, Army or officer training, right? Wouldn't that, yes. is that a different pool than the other people going for the general, you know, private through corporal? Is that, is it a different training at the beginning? It is a different pool. The, uh, the officer corps is uh, different than the enlisted corps. Or the enlisted uh, training. That being said, the initial beginning in the Marine Corps is very intense and tough, and uh, uh, it's certainly there's a lot of similarities there. We, we get trained by the same people, essentially. Okay, those are the people they make the movie about with you know Denzel Washington or um, who was the guy who was in uh, Lewis Gossett Jr. the boot camp trainer guy remember that guy lewis cossage the role he played was he in full metal jacket is that the famous one no no he was in uh the one with richard gear and deborah winger and he had the famous fight scene with richard gear i don't remember the name of it that movie anyway all right and then your service how have you found it what what is your your job uh, I'm cur- currently an intelligence officer in the Marine Corps. My time has been uh, truly amazing. I got to go on a deployment and uh, lead Marines, and uh, I-, I think it's been the- truly the greatest professional experience of my life. And do you think it will benefit your career when you leave? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the points in the book, one of the things I'm very open with and is that you know, military service needs to be appealing, and it needs to have the aura that it once did that you know if you serve the country you're rewarded on the back end you know i think gen zers are very open and very logical in their career steps and they should realize like skills the community the connections especially that they that they get to experience when joining um 
really rewards them. And I think those things specifically for me, I joined because I wanted to learn how to lead people. And this is the single best way to learn how to lead people. So there is a ROI, if you can consider it like that. I think uh, Gen Z is open and okay with admitting that they want to do things that have a high ROI. And uh, that was part of my thought calculus. All right. Very interesting. And how did you start, you know, first noticing the crisis and uh, what are the numbers? Do you know, or we, what are we down? 10%, 20%? I do. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So basically, you know, I, a lot of the news stations, all the major news stations are having segments about the recruiting crisis, but they had a lot of very senior generals and admirals. I have major respect for them talking about how to solve these issues. And I thought, well, that's great, but those guys were recruited, you know, 30 and 40 years ago. They need like a Gen Z voice, someone that was just recently recruited to actually talk about this. And that's why I decided to write the book and uh, really push it out there. And it's been positively received. The numbers specifically, the Army is suffering the most. The Army is missing its numbers by tens, about 15,000 in the past two years. Navy, Air Force also in the, the multiple thousands. Uh, the Marine Corps is the one branch to just be making our numbers, but we're, you know there is still a recruiting issue. And by all means, you know it's not a positive thing if a military is continuously not hitting their manpower numbers oh, year over year. Eventually, you're going to have a hollowing out of the forces, and that's a big, big problem. Yes, I was, you know, very, I was going to lead to that. So what is the impact and are we already seeing it now? I'd say we're a few years away from where we truly have to reduce force posturing, right? And that's the, the you know, where we'd actually start pulling back from certain commitments and reducing a global presence, which is not what anyone wants, especially in a very geopolitically difficult and intensifying world. Uh, but you know, we definitely are in trouble, you know, and the trend lines are, in, in, are an issue and the secretary of the army, Christine Warmoth, the highest level there is, you know, this is her number one issue right now, recruiting. And so we really are working as an organization, but need to connect with the American people to try to solve this. All right. All right. What's wrong with generation Z? What is the, what the hell is the matter with you people? <laughs> yeah, it's a good You're question, them, right? I mean, how old are you? I am. I am. I'm only 25. So I'm at the, the sort of the top end of Generation Z. Z goes from 1997 to 2012 or so. I did a lot of analysis on my generation, you know, and a lot of the older people are like, oh, what's wrong with the new generation today? You know, I think the, the biggest things I'll say, Gen Z grew up in an interesting time period. We're too young to remember 9-11. We didn't have an impact on that. We were impacted by the great financial crisis. The 2016 election, regardless of your political party, doesn't Matthew, matter. Your just let me stop you for just a second. So I have two Gen Z kids. I have four kids, yes. two in their 20s, a 26 and a 23-year-old. Do you know what we did or what I did with them on 9-11? I had them. Um, it was right after my divorce, and I, had to, I got the kids for the day. And on 9-11, as I drove away to, from my ex-wife's house to – spend the day with the kids my brother called and said get in front of a tv so i drove to his house i put the kids in the other room they watched toy story one and then toy story two and then toy story one and toy story two and then toy story one and toy story two yeah. all day long until about yeah. six o'clock when my brother came home and i had to take yeah. the kids back to my ex-wife uh you know so there's what happened from the other side of the story by the way no absolutely absolutely so keep going with what i mean what you were saying, you, you know, kids and, don't and remember it either. Exactly. And so the millennials, yeah, it's a great point because the millennials, right. Who served most of them were the cadre that served in Iraq and Afghanistan, right. That was a galvanizing moment for them compelled high patriotism and military service. You know, we, we don't ever want an event like that to happen again, but we didn't have that same galvanizing event for our generation. So people that are serving today, you know, I learned about nine 11 in history class, right. In early history. Right. And so, that's a different uh, impact, right? So the great financial crisis had an impact on our generation. The 2016 election, they was saying, it doesn't matter who you were voting for, politics are divided now. They're more divided than ever. That impacts our generation's thinking. Is our country divided? What are we fighting for? Who are we fighting for? And the COVID pandemic, you know, it actually impacted our schools, right? It's a big difference to go through COVID when you were 40 to, you know, 42 versus 
your senior year of high school was canceled and your prom and your sweet 16 and you know, your first year of college, like that was a you know big impact on us. So those three events shaped our generation underlying our development, obviously is the use of social media and digital uh, impact. That's been a totally unique generation specific uh, trend. And uh, that sort of created a psyche of people, you know, that want specific things in the workplace and, Military needs to be able to capture that and uh, offer those things. So, how would you describe then to uh, someone who's uh, lived underneath a rock for the last thirty years, the generation? Explain, describe them, and tell us what stereotypes are true and what are not. So, I think one of the biggest insights I've had is that we're actually a very competitive generation. When you post on social media, you instantly get feedback, likes or dislikes. And everyone, you know, associates the millennials with the everyone gets a trophy generation. They're so soft. That's the opposite of Gen Z. Gen Z is tough. Like we are competitive. We do compete socially every day. We are incentivized by competition and want a workplace that actually rewards competition. And that's one of my recommendations. The military needs to reward higher performing people with either better pay or better opportunities, et cetera. The second thing about the generation it's pretty interesting is we, we desire protection because of those three events that have sort of shaken the world. The world seems to be going in a, you know, not the greatest way. There's this weird, you know, Armageddon feels as Elon Musk would say. Um, and we desire, you know, a return to the past almost, right? We, we desire to protect, to defend what used to exist. You know, every year prom would happen and then our year prom didn't happen. Right. And so we want that continuation of tradition almost. We're less globalist maybe than, no, the millennials and service oriented were more to protect what already exists and protect what has another major data point. We are the biggest mental health crisis in history. We are by far the most anxious, depressed generation there's ever been. That is a true point and then uh, potentially attributable to the use of social media or digital devices. But that is a true fact. And another key fact is we use marijuana more and we use alcohol less. That's something that's interesting. Uh, Gen Z is sort of uh, developing uh, their relationship with either substances or other risky behaviors, and uh, we're actually less risky than other generations uh, in certain things, but that one substance concept is important to calculate. All right, some very interesting data there. One of the stereotypes that we hear is that you want instant promotion. You expect to be vice president overnight. My daughter got out of college. (laughs) And, uh, she was trying to get a job and everything. And she ended up getting an amazing job. I won't say in this show where she works, but she works at a very, very well-known company. And I tried to tampen down her expectations. She ended up getting a lot of money. What I thought a lot. And then Matthew, this is going to blow you away. You know, don't, you know, tamper down your expectations, honey. She'd been there two weeks and they brought her into HR to give her a 13% raise because she'd been there for two whole weeks, damn it. And, uh, you know, the market's that competitive for her skill set, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so she now thinks that's the way the real world is. And three weeks later, she's like, well, where's my promotion again? And I was like, she didn't say that I'm teasing. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I, I deserve to be vice president. I'm 25. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, I, I thought about a chapter in my book or a small paragraph about how we have more information at our fingertips than any other generation. And that that's not to discount experience. Experience is extremely important, but there is this weird trend of like younger people now are in many ways, more skilled in a skill based economy are more skilled and more knowledgeable, and more able for certain tasks than older experienced people. So there is this, weird disruptive feeling of like, well, yeah, experience is great, but like the guy that has 40 years of experience is like, you know, outdated now. And like, you can do a lot when you're 25, frankly, uh, with the power of, you know, with the pot, pot, certain digital tools and just, you know, digital learning, whatever. So there is this interesting trend and dynamic that a macroeconomist would have to go and analyze better than me. But I think, uh, the entitlement is is bad. There's just you know we we do need to earn our stripes. We do need to work hard. There's no question. Uh, as a country and a nation, 
even as we hear things like we're moving to a four-day work week because productivity doesn't decrease. Okay, all these things are fine, but you want the country to still be you know, working hard in all sectors uh, and, and in the military especially. One of the nice things about the military is that Hey, when you're at the bottom ranks, you're going to work hard, you know, and you're, you're not, you're taught about that. And the people that come out are given that humbled experience and they don't, not entitled. They're, they're ready to work. And that's, I think, a very positive trend of, of joining the military. All right. So what's the solution, Matthew? I wish I could answer one. The book has 21 chapters and 21 solutions. You know, I think there's a few things on a very macro scale that matter for that are interesting to everyone. And there are a few things that are very you know, more specific that are chapter specific or so on a macro scale. I think that everyone needs to feel this crisis, meaning in the full military, metal jacket you know, on them. you're saying go full metal jacket on them, right? Yeah, That's what you mean, yeah, right? Feel exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I think that every community in the U S has to, you know, understand that they benefit from the, the public good of national defense and, Frankly, some communities serve more than others. That's geographic, socioeconomic, whatever it is. And I think that it's important that every community has at least a few of its members that do serve and are supported and uh, encouraged to do so. That's important, especially because we all benefit from, again, public defense. And then I think in the military itself, all of us Gen Zers should be compelled either by Congress or by our service branches to assist in the recruiting effort. I think it's important that we all feel it, right? We have recruiting commands who are specifically focused on recruiting. The average person isn't focused on recruiting at all. They don't even think about it, but it does impact them. And the person that, who sits next to them one day is recruited, right? So I you know many private corporations have recruiting incentives and you know everyone is sort of responsible for recruiting. And I think so are we. That's an important thing. Um, so those are two, you know, very macro, you know, things. And I think on the tactical level, having a national recruiting day is a really good idea or a way to focus all Gen Zers with all their TikToks and Instagrams on one day, like just like a product release from Apple to actually have a national recruiting day, a national focus. That's, I think, super important. And how do I better manage my Gen Z? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, again, competition matters to us and that's an under often not look that thing it's a sort of key insight i've had make them compete or have them compete for goals set the bar high and have them either compete against each other or against whatever previous standard was there that's a way to get a lot more out of a gen z or push them i hadn't thought about that my two kids are very competitive but i thought that they were the outliers and so you're telling me that that's the norm which is blowing my mind matt i hadn't gone there um that's interesting. Yeah, and, and again, it goes from social media, right? Every kid now has an Instagram. They know how many likes they get. They know how many likes their best friend Sally and their best friend Jim gets. And yeah, whether they like it or not, they're that. competing. My kids don't care about that. Maybe that's why they are the outliers. That they're on social media, but they don't care much. You know, they make fun of it. They, I don't know. Absolutely, I, I, absolutely. And I, look, I'm not on it prolifically at all myself either. At the same time, they know the 10 biggest influencers on Instagram. They know who they are, even if they don't follow them or don't care about them. They know what a Probably follower do. is yes, and how much, yes. how much money is made from that, right? If you're looking at just money as a metric. And so that that's sort of, be, again, competition and, and followings are are a thing nowadays. And, and that's uh, a way, you know, for Gen Zers to really, again, distinguish themselves. And in the workplace, they want to be distinguished. They want to be competitive and win. How do we find out more? Follow you online. Get a copy of the book. Perfect. Amazon.com is the best. Just We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam by Matthew Weiss. It's really the only place I'm selling it. There's a website, www.unclesambook.org. Um, but that links to Amazon, so either or is easy. And uh, yeah, that's the way to do it. Matthew, thank you so very much, and good luck with the rest of your career. Godspeed and stay safe. Thank you so much. I had a great conversation. I appreciate it. Likewise, likewise. We are out of time, but you know what we do. We come back. Be safe, everyone. Take care. Go make a million dollars. Bye now.